right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan and Josh. Hello, everyone. And Marcelo. Hey, everyone. It's good to have everybody back. I don't think we've had the OG squad minus Austin in, has it been a couple of weeks? Sort of. It's been more than a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, sh- we'll just go with a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's, a couple of, it's funny because it's a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks, you know. All right. Today, we're going to be discussing school choice. Specifically, we're going to be bringing in Arizona House Bill 2853, which I believe it was just signed by the governor. If not, the governor is going to sign it in the next day or two, uh, which makes Arizona the first state to have universal school choice, meaning every one of their students is eligible to use their vouchers. We'll get into more of those details in just a second here. But before we get into that, remember that you can majorly help our show by liking and subscribing, pushing them through the YouTube algorithm. Yes, those two likes do help push us, not to the top, but at least we're not tied for the bottom, you know. <laughs> All right, also remember you can follow us at Between the Liars on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And now we'll get into the overview. So under this new voucher plan, all 1.1 million students in Arizona are going to be able to enroll in public school through vouchers, but they can also use it. The amount is going to be equivalent to like $7,000, um, and I believe that's annually. And they can use it for a variety of educational purposes purposes. The current voucher plan in Arizona was helping fewer than 12,000 students, so it's quite a bit of a jump there, which means that this makes every Arizona student eligible for taxpayer-supplied funds to attend private and religious schools, as well as for online education, homeschooling, tutors, and more. Now, this proposal, or I can't say exactly this proposal, a similar proposal was rejected in 2018. That was going to be called Proposition 305. Main reason that that was rejected is because it would have limited the program instead of just boom, snap of the fingers, every student is eligible. It would have only allowed 5000 per year to be added. So that's we have to be careful with the direct comparison being made there. But a lot of the people opposed to this bill were pointing out and claiming that this is kind of overruling the will of the people that was overwhelmingly rejected by like, I think it was like 60 to 63%, something like that of the voters. I think because it was a proposition, my understanding through ye old Google search was that it was like a direct vote on like a a special session. So I'm going to kick it to Josh and Marcelo. What are your initial thoughts on this? Anything you want to add on the context? I don't know if this is the time to do it, but I would love to get into a discussion of, like the idea of school vouchers because sure. I I think like we can talk about the bill specifically which you know disclaimer spoiler alert I definitely don't <laughs> agree with I I think it really goes against the, the idea of, of vouchers like I guess the the idealistic uh, point of view of okay. most people well, we have some contention uh, so that's however. good this is gonna be a good good episode light contention no, we always have some contention <laughs> we have to that's why we do this <laughs> yep um, and you know I I don't really, I don't know why it was rejected uh, in, in 2018, but I, I was checking some polling and the school choice as it's branded, right? Like the, the freedom of parents to, to, to choose where they put their, their children in, uh, does have a majority support in Arizona. So, um, you know, even if this went uh, to a, um, if, if this went one in a proposal, then I think it would also pass, but I, I, agree. I also think it's worth I also think it's worth analyzing why. And like, uh, you know, again, another thing is like, I was checking the stats on Arizona's like performance and when it comes to the schools and then K through 12, they're ranked um, in the bottom five, bottom 10 yep. uh, in most studies. So they're not doing so hot, um, <laughs> which I, I, I'm guessing that's why many people want some to see some change. It is really interesting to me. And you see this with any contentious issue, any major issue. It seems like when we're not happy with the status quo, they kind of, the people will at times just write like a blank check to the government and be like, just do something. And like, then at that point, whoever's got the more populist appeal at that point seems to be able to just kind of sway that the way that they want. People post COVID and during COVID were not particularly happy with the education system, I feel like that was an exasperating factor that kind of really, some people weren't happy with the education curriculum, some weren't happy with the online learning, some weren't happy with the strikes. Like, There's a lot going on there. Uh, Josh, your thoughts on this? I've always found school vouchers to be a really 
inverse way of handling education funding. It seems like if you wanted to have a way to enable people to uh, enable people to send their children to what programs they wanted to and to handle the financing easy, you would just have students enroll in what you know in what capacity individual you know schools could handle into what they you know whatever their student selection process is and get their students and then that school sends a letter to the government at the end of the year saying this is how many students we have and the government hands them their check um, or they report it at the beginning of each semester of how many students they're going to have attending in the government you know finances in that ways this is uh to me it always seems weird to have like turn to the families and go here's the money now go spend it instead of just having the organizations you know report it and then just distribute the funding way because i do think if there's anything positive that can be said about any voucher program, and I'm pretty universally opposed to all of them, is um, that insofar that they do help get money towards schools, that's all right. But most of the time they pull money away from already struggling school systems and deflate teacher salaries. Um, and it just most of the time it works out to being net less money involved in the education system you know, from the government's perspective and from an, like an investment point of view. So if it can help, that's where it does help because I think the number one problem uh, facing our school system here is dramatically misallocated budgets, uh, dramatically underpaid teachers and underfunded classrooms, teachers buying supplies and basic you know, crowns and markers for their classrooms is just unacceptable. So I, I agree with, with those portions, right? Like teachers are underpaid, they're undervalued, they have a lot of expenses they incur to fund their classrooms. How, how do you think that that's deflating? Like if, if I give them the vouchers, other than like the funds not going to the school, so, you know, like in theory it balances out, right? Because there's fewer students, they need fewer teachers. How is it, if I, if I use vouchers, you said that that deflates their salaries. I'm curious what, what the uh, evidence well, is I mean, for that. Uh, private sector like marketplaces are typically going to drive down wages, wages from uh, previously government controlled um, industries. That's just going to be a market trend, I think, for a large part mm -hmm. of the education system. And I think also the sometimes diversify, not diversifying, but the oversaturation of money across a whole bunch of different projects. And, and for the most part, it just drains money away from the public school system to jobs that don't pay as well. And because of that, it lowers the overall, um, you just don't see teachers' wages go up too often with these bills. Oh, sure. Um, and so that like, so I don't see that this being a too competitive solution towards our education problem when it's just apathy from our government and trying to solve a lot of the problems facing the school system. Mm -hmm. And, um, just because how we fund the school system is a, is I, in my point in my view the significant problem of the school system because low property taxes create low income schools which don't have as good success rates to which go you know and it creates a cycle of poverty just the education system's funding process so these living district agnostic funding plans of vouchers can be positive in there to drive money into a community but. I don't see them pan out overly well in well, most states. You, you do raise an important point there, Josh, that if you're only able to attend school where your tax dollars through property taxes, et cetera, through that specific funding, then to me, this seems like the ticket out of there, right? Like I'm too poor, let's say, to live in the rich neighborhood to have the higher quality of education, but I can now attend that school. To me, I would think that that would, that would fix your critique there, that you know the cycle of poverty can be broken now because they get to choose to leave. Yeah, but not everyone can choose to leave, right? Like the the, the school's still there. Like, are, are, so are you saying you have, let's say, very simplistic, right? You have two school districts. One is uh, two two districts. One have, one is poor and one is rich, mm -hmm. and and you know, in, in this ideal world where where all of the poor students from the poor school have the vouchers to leave, do they just build another school in the rich district and then just have two schools here? Is that is that and then? Cause they like, might. I you know, that. That's not that's not what it hap that what happens though because not everybody can leave and not everybody either wants to or, or is able to and like otherwise you wouldn't have all of these public schools that are still you know still standing with whatever money little money they have and I I, I think that if that 
were to be true, then, you know, obviously everyone would be like, okay, well, we're just going to like tear this down and then just build this new school in the, in the richer district, which I don't, I don't know how realistic it is. Well, to me, it seems to level the playing field though, right? Because schools um, a minute ago without this voucher program, their admission was based off of, do you have the funds and are you in the district? And now I don't know exactly what their um, entrance is going to look like, but I would imagine it would be similar to the college system in which they're going based off of, well, what students qualify. We take the most competitive students. If, it's, if, the, if the most desirable school gets all of the applications, then they weed them out. And then students will now be shuffled around rather than based off of your socio socioeconomic class, which you just mentioned was a problem because you can't help where you were born into now it's based off of merit because everybody has the same voucher system but not everybody can get into like if you're let's say you're the the, the nice school right you're like mm -hmm. the, the charter school or you're the, the private school it's like okay we take vouchers and we're looking to take students for the top top 50 right top 50 percentile not everybody who applies is going to fit in that criteria right, right. If you have criteria too so what are what do the other people go do they go back to the underfunded public school well, I think it's going to depend based off of the criteria who gets shuffled out, but I don't know. I, I would imagine that if this is making it more of a capitalistic structure, then schools will have to make themselves more desirable in some ways and or they'll, uh, they're going to have schools that are still underfunded. That's still going to happen. I, I know that that's going to be the case. But if that's something we can't fix at the moment or we're not fixing at the moment, then I would say at least now where you go to school is not determined by where you live. It's based off of other things, which you can have a little I, bit more control over. Yeah, it's just what I'm trying to get at is that you you always in this specific scenario where like, you know, you have a competition and you, you make the school system a competition. It's not a win-win scenario. You have losers in this. There, there's somebody loses and, you know, unlike public schools, these uh, you know, new charter schools, private schools, whatever you want to call them, uh, they can have standards and they don't, they don't need to accept everyone unless, you know, maybe I missed that part in the bill, but if they don't need to accept everyone, then what you, you know, uh, students with disabilities, students who are not performing as well, like underperformers, those are left to the system that is already underfunded and continues to be underfunded because those fixed costs don't go anywhere. I, I think it's it is important to to highlight the fact that when you take students away from the public system, you are inevitably are taking money away, which is what Josh said is that you're taking money away from a system that is supposed to, you know, encompass everyone. And then you you start taking people away from that, then there is a loss for the public school. There system. is, and and I think you highlight the fact that it's not fair. And I would say the current system also isn't fair. And I think we would all agree with that. So I think then. What I would say is the benefit here is that now there are students who want to leave and are able to leave who, who now have the financial ability to do so versus before this bill was passed, if they were a smart student who, let's say, would qualify for the higher, richer school, they were still limited by their socioeconomic class. Like I, I think that I would have to acknowledge you, of course you're right, there's still going to be unfair things, but I think that we're still raising the bar a little bit, although it's not a perfect system. I mean, all education data out there right now suggests that where voucher programs come, systematic inequalities in education fundamentally get worse. Because as Marcelo pointed out, um, and as I kind of pointed out before, it does drain away resources from the public school system. And there's people who can't get away from public school system. And you know, we also all agreed from the outset, one of the key problems facing the public school system was a critical lack of funding. And you mentioned how they might have to compete, how they might have to find value. But how is a school system that's already struggling and then loses a whole bunch of money and then is then turned around and said, well, you just lost a whole bunch of money. You're already struggling beforehand. Now turn around and compete with these otherwise very well-funded institutions. Because the other thing to keep in mind is not all of these institutions are going to be equal. Is this institution going to offer a bus service? There's no guarantee a, a, a charter school does. Is this you know system going to cost more than just the voucher program? Is it going to be a $14,000 a year school and you get $7,000 from the voucher? Or is it just a $7,000 school and you only have to pay your voucher? These set up systematic inequalities within the education system that are explicitly based on people's social economic backgrounds of their parents and have nothing to do with the individual child. And so these systems come in and create a competitive world, but that fundamentally says, well, 
you weren't born into a wealthy family, so you're going to basically get disadvantaged from day one because this is how we intentionally made the education system. There's a reason segregation has been climbing back to numbers that we saw in the 60s and 70s, slowly since the 1980s when school vouchers started becoming more and more popular. Where school vouchers exist, school segregation and the more likely for a school to be of very much so a singular ethnicity also increases. So when These you, are statistical side effects just, observable in every single voucher state. Just, I want to ask this question then, is when you say segregation, I, I, I feel like there's this conflation between like Jim Crow era segregation where you cannot attend this school versus I feel like now segregation is also used to describe just the general collecting where like specific groups tend to homogenize which are we talking about here i mean if we talk about a financial system of where black families on average have 10 times less well less wealth than your than your white families of where we look at a continued system of disenfranchisement not only in where people live but in what jobs they have access to and what schools they have access to and then we introduce this even more so into you know how much money do you have determines the quality of your education and where you get to go to school of if you don't have any extra money to pay toward your child's students and you just go to the public school system and when everyone else with maybe a thousand two thousand dollars you know available goes to a nicer school system and then your school system gets worse and we have a system of where we know certain Groups and populations are economically disadvantaged and have less resources to capital. And so then we come into a system that is supposed to be the foundation of getting your start in this world and, you know, figuring out your way when you're five years old. And we make it into a competition that already starts setting the parameters for someone's life because their parents didn't make enough money. But but the parameters are already set. And and this was what I I feel like you keep jumping between critiquing the current status quo of you you said that, what was it, 10 10 times uh, black families make 10 times less. Is that what you said? Wealth, wealth, well, have, on, have uh, less wealth accumulated. Okay. So, property so one, income. I would point out that there's also the you you have to account for the fact that you can break that down by race. I understand that, and that's a fair statistic. That's fine. But also, there's plenty of poor white people, so it's not just broken down by race. But on top of that, what you're yeah, saying, you white people too. But what I'm saying here is that that argument that you made, the bulk of what you just said, says that you're limited by your socioeconomic class. And I think that this lets you break out of that a little bit more. And I think the reason the critique to this saying that it won't improve doesn't account for both just the tendency that things will shift along with it. So if we see more people going towards these rich schools and more funding going towards those schools, of course they find a way to get more of the students there because we're like, ah, we're desirable. So they might, they very well might, even though they don't right now, have a charter bus system. Maybe they would. Like I, I'm saying that, that the critique, though, only holds true, and I think it's a fair critique, only if we don't account for the possibility for change. Like, we have How to many, assume— What percent of charter schools across the nation have a bus program right now? Like, there's tens of thousands of charter school systems. Like, it's less than 10%. Like, this, there's, charter school systems have been running in America since the 1960s when they were first, re, first invented to segregate the schools in Arkansas. The first charter school system and school voucher program started in 1958— a year after the Little Rock Nine enrolled in, into the Little Rock public school system, the, public, the governor of Arkansas at the time closed every single public school in Little Rock and then opened up charter schools with voucher programs to resegregate the schools. And Little Rock's school system wasn't integrated until 1960, four years after the court's mandate. So it didn't even just end when the military had to come and integrate the Arkansas school system. So... These systems are designed to do this from their historical origination. And since the 1950s, we've seen increasing growths of racial and ethnic isolation in our school system. What was done was racist and horrific. But having done that in the past does not mean that that was the like fundamental purpose now when we're doing this. In fact, I still think that I'm going to go back to what I was saying, that it allows them to escape – their ties to their property and what their taxes can pay. Like it, it gives I mean, them. They haven't even updated the slogan. School choice was governor was governor Orwell Farbius' uh, slogan too. Like it's the same slogan. Well, and I think you're overlooking an important factor here. It allows them to use this funding towards homeschooling, religious schooling, private schooling, as well as 
tutoring services. So if you want to stay in your charter school and you want that $7,000 to go towards tutoring to help your child where they're at, boom, that's a bump right there. If you want to use it for homeschooling, when my parents homeschooled me, they had to pay twice because they had to pay through the tax system for me to go to public school and they had to pay for me to be homeschooled because I wasn't using that. So now it's allowing parents who are like, you know what? I would love to homeschool my child. I would love to give them that individualized learning, but I can't afford it. It gives them that opportunity too. So I think that if you're looking at it as a one-to-one -one comparison, I think your argument would hold a little bit more weight. But when we account for how broadly they allow this to be tailored, I don't know that your criticism stands there the same way that it would have then why aren't the school systems becoming more ethnically diverse over time? What? Like the statistics are just against you here. Like the, every time, because that's just what they are. Like if you go and observe a state and look at, look at the ethnic diversity of a, of a school system before and after a charter school piece of legislation came through the piece of government, they were more racially diverse school systems before a charter school system. And the longer a state continues with a charter school system, the more racially segregated the school systems become. This is true in every single state. So I would have to actually look at where they ran that analysis and what the final results well, were. Be well, but listen, because <laughs> what I could say is, sure, okay, great. Demographically, they broke down, but there could be a million reasons for that. And you have to actually look into the specifics of that analysis. So for example, what I mentioned a second ago, it might be that people with similar values cluster together. And black families have a very strong cultural value and they have different values than, say, the Hispanic community. So the fact that Hispanic communities might cluster together and blacks might cluster together doesn't automatically mean, aha, because this has followed. Because that would that would be committing the post hoc ergo propter hoc fallacy, meaning that because it follows, it's caused by. Meaning you're, you're trying to make the claim here that racism, et cetera, are just following the the school choice, we see more segregation, that doesn't mean that it was caused by it. It might be that now that they have the choice, they're able to go where they want and maybe they would like to affiliate themselves. Like the concept of homophily or clustering with people who have similar values, look similar to us, is a very real social psychological phenomenon, which is why I say we have to look into the actual data and not just say, because it follows school choice, we automatically have a worse it's, society. It's just really hard to believe that, you know, like, oh, because these people share the same models, they will be together when you look at like cities like Detroit, right? Like where they okay. instituted charter schools a few decades ago, yep. and now all of the charter schools are predominantly white and all of the public schools are predominantly black mm -hmm. or Hispanic. Um, I don't feel like it's, you know, share values of being poor and being like like lower funded schools. Like, do, I don't, do you think I that might be because they can't afford to go to those nicer schools then? Well, but I, I thought the voucher program would make everything equal. Is, is that not like... Well, that's it, that's what I'm saying is, do you, do you think that the voucher program would fix it? I don't know if Detroit has a voucher. I, I was actually asking. No, no, no. The Detroit has a voucher. It like does they, have a voucher program. They, they have, yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm saying is that the charter schools are predominantly white. And, like, they're very, you know, successful, whatever. You know, you have a bunch of uh, rich people who are, who are sending their kids there. Yep. Private schools, they're doing fantastic, good for them, whatever. But you also have a bunch of schools that are being closed that are public schools that didn't yeah. have enough funding to continue existing and you have the ones that are left that are also in danger of closing that have underpaid professors and et cetera, et cetera, and have predominantly people of color as their as 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 you know the students attending these schools. So I don't I don't I don't really I think this again adds to the argument that over time you see the same demographic differences popping up again and again. And like this is not something that is exclusive to one area in particular. What what does Detroit's voucher program look like? Is it is it a one-to-one -one comparison between here and Arizona? Like is it you can go wherever you want or do they limit which families are eligible? I and I don't know the answer to that. I highly, you know, I haven't well, obviously I'll haven't it read it, but I, I highly doubt that they would Sorry, there's noise. <laughs> Casually calling from chaos in the streets. <laughs> yes, it's very, very back in DC. Super messy, but I love it. Keep going. I'm okay. listening. I'm looking up the Detroit the, voucher system. Yeah, like I, I just, I highly doubt that the Detroit voucher system would be applied exclusively to white families. If that was the case, then I would be very surprised. I just don't think it is. Like, you know, there's a there's a reason why there 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 needs to be. Um, yeah. 
Go ahead, Josh. Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. It's it's the it's the access to bus routes. It's the you know, do you come from a multi-vehicle house? You know, do your parents have to take your only family car into work? And both of them, like you know, one of them has to drop the other off, and they both go into work. And there's only one car. So if there's not a public, if there's not a bus route available, you just can't go there at all because your family lacks logistics yep. for whatever reason. You know, your family owns one car. That happens to a lot of people. And so that basically means if the school system doesn't have a bus system and you're a one family car you don't get to go to that school system yep. and, and i that think that's a valid turns to every economically disadvantaged person and says go somewhere else and that's an incredible and and then at the same time to pull money out of the public school system which is the one place they can go it's just such a slap in the face as a policy decision is, to defund the options remaining and then not give them the tools to fully take advantage of the new options created. Is, that's is, bad policy. Is the voucher system the only way these schools are funded? Because I think that's going to be an important question. Because well, if it no, is, I mean, then that argument bears top, a lot more weight. No, I mean, I mean, tuition on top of it is a great way to disenfranchise people out of your school system that require an extra five, 10, six, you know, whatever, how much money you want to charge in tuition for your private school and charge that on top of your voucher program. And you very much, you know, there are there are private high schools that charge more than than a lot of universities do. Yes, <laughs> I've heard like stories of people paying like ten, fifteen, twenty thousand uh, dollars, you know, a semester for high school tuition, and I'm like, I hate rich people. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> like like well, wow, and, like, and well, I, like this is just awful. I don't think that this. I, I'm not so naive as to believe this is automatic. I'm having a hard time finding these stats, by the way, so I'm still looking. But I, I just to Josh's point here, I do. I'm not so naive to think that this just automatically makes all things equal. I think what it does do is it does shift us towards an improved system. If we look at the whole system, the ecosystem of education as a whole, because it is removing a barrier. It's not all, because what you raise, Josh, as criticisms are fair criticisms when it comes to what is your socioeconomic status, the specific school. But I think that, you know, you're not going to see... If I were to guess at how this is actually going to play out, you're not going to see the poorest and the lowest in the socioeconomic classes jump to the top tier school just by and large. I think you might see a few, maybe if they're qualified and they can afford it and it's like fully covered, like we mentioned a second ago, maybe. But I think more realistically, you'll just see a gradual improvement. It is a, a better option for them. They might go, you know, two, three. I don't, I don't know how you would grade these schools, but maybe they would jump up two or three scores or whatever in the schools because they're no longer stuck at this one particular school. I think it also frees up parents because what it, what is one thing that parents have to look at when they're looking at buying a house? They have to think, what is the school system like? What are we eligible for? And that does tie into, you know, where do the bus routes, et cetera, like you mentioned, Josh, and that's, that's fair. But I think that this removes that option. So people have a little bit more freedom there too. I think Arizona is a very special example because it is the first time that a state has done a universal voucher plan for everyone, like yep. 1.1 million students, which I, I think holds a lot of potential. Uh, in my opinion, potential to be destructive, but um, I guess we'll see. Um, and, and, you know, that is different because I had been reading about this perspective and a lot of our uh, Hispanic parents in Arizona, again, are very a very diverse state, they're, they're commenting on the idea of like, okay, this is our way out um, for a better education for a lot of uh, traditionally disadvantaged minorities. And, you know, that's a, that's, that's an argument that it, in, in this case, Arizona is like, okay, we're giving it to everyone. So it's not only a few people get it. I still think that, you know, in the case of like choosing where to live and like where to buy your house, you're still going to choose it based on how close the schools are, right? Like, obviously, it's not going to depend specifically on the school district, but if the better schools are closer to whatever you can afford, if you can't even afford a house, then that's definitely going to impact your decision, your choice, mm. if you may. Here's, here's what I have. Um, are, are, were you referencing the ETV programs, the education and training voucher? Was that That's the one that I'm seeing that's popping up here. And it provides $5,000 to youth who meet specific criteria. If it is, I'll read you what those are. If it's not, I'll keep looking. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so this is youth who are or have been in an eligible foster care placement on or after their 14th, 14th birthday through the state of Michigan, youth adopted from foster care or placed in relative guardianship, and then youth that have a high school diploma or GED. This, this might be 
This is this is for trade school. Not, this isn't K through twelve. That's not very specific. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't okay. think that's what we're talking that's about. Fine. And, it, and it, it's okay. I, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, I, I, my, my general idea, my general perspective, and again, I think we should. Uh, you said that you were homeschooled. I can do my rounds and say that I was. I went to private school. Yep. Oh no, I'm guilty as charged. Josh was homeschooled. I went to a private school in uh, Peru, uh, back home, and that is because the. Uh, the public school system is severely underfunded, and yep. like only you would only consider going to private to public school if you were maybe in like the bottom thirty twenty to thirty percent of okay. earners. Like it's really for like lower class, uh, well, not low class, um, like low income earners in the country, and that it's because the public school system has been so underfunded because everybody keeps going to the private schools. And it's like, I'm a little afraid that something like that could happen here. That, you know, my education was fine. And, you know, I'm very, um, I'm, you know, privileged to have it and my parents were able to pay for it. But at the same time, I just feel like opening up the doors for all of these schools definitely increases, you know, potential benefits for people who can afford to pay them or who can afford to, you know, actually choose. But for those people who were already disadvantaged, for the bottom 20% for the people who were already having problems going, like, you know, having an actual education, this just makes things worse. Like, uh, you know, I think as thing as a whole, you're leaving the people behind. So the last thing I'd say then, since we're shifting away from that Michigan thing, is I would, I would caution people to draw those, to not draw conclusions racially, demographically, without actually having the study. I, I won't comment on that, but those are the things that I would need to see before I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure, that's, that's definitely a disparity caused by that. Just to kind of throw out a point of contention to see where this discussion goes, I'm curious, would it be the worst thing in the world if everyone started going to private school, religious school, and homeschooling, if those were their preferences? And that's where we shifted based off of where the voters go with these vouchers. And then the public education dollars started going into those instead, because we, we you just mentioned, Marcella, that those were at least where you are and generally true in the U.S. They, they tend to have a higher standard and prep people better. I'm going to ask... Because you say, like, if they choose to do so, right? And, yep. like, going to these schools is not free, right? right. So, so they can they can choose to go to public school, but they can only choose the other options if, they, if they're able to afford them, right? So mm -hmm. how, is it, how is it a choice, right? Like, you say, would it be too bad if they had the choice? I would say they have the choice. They just can't afford to actually it's, – it's, it's the illusion of choice, right? It's not – they're not able to do it. So if they can't pay for it, then really – can you call it a choice? Well, but what I was saying is the argument is often made. We haven't tried enough with public education, so we should just we should fund that more before doing this. What I'm saying is what if we took that concept of instead of funding public government schools more, we just gave them these vouchers, but we increased that so that they could afford that. And then it seems like from what I've understood, most people prefer, if they can afford it, private, religious, or homeschooling. Those are just the more expensive options. They just tend to have higher placements in higher education, et cetera. So if we started investing our government funds more into those, would that be, do you think that'd be good or bad? What is the, but the, the problem is that you have a, a private entity, right? You have a, you have a business, you have a company, yep. and then you, you're funneling funds from the government to the private entity, which, you know, mind you, sounds very socialistic, but um, <laughs> you're funding these, private companies through public funds, yep. um, then what is the difference between that and a public school? Then the difference is that there's less accountability, right? Like, because you, you have, what, what, what else is the difference? It's a, so I think the point of accountability is actually extremely important because there's a it lot is. of towns across rural America where there's only one school. And so if a private corporation comes in and kicks out the local, you know, public school through its, you know, fancy new systems, gets rid of the school board because the school board only controls the public schools. So now there's no publicly elected officials that control education for your children and your community. And you have surrendered that control over to this private corporation because your town can only support one school has a natural monopoly over what they want to do with your children. And that is part of, uh, I think, one of the fundamental problems that I think conservatives just do not understand about the voucher program is that you are surrendering democratic control of the school system over to unelected private corporations that you can 
hopefully maybe vote with your dollar out, you know, dollar with, not like they're going to become natural monopolies like your different ISPs you have the luxury of purchasing from. So those who have the contract with the government to operate there in the first place and only those. You lose your democratic school board if you go all private school. And to me, that's an egregious authoritarian reach over the school system. People should have the right to vote and have an influence over the education system. And it's wrong if they don't. I partially agree with part of what you said. So one, I would say, I think this is being grossly misrepresented as, well, there's no accountability, there's no standards, etc. When first and foremost, all homeschoolers have to meet state and national standards like if you were homeschooled that highly depends i can tell you a story about my background as a homeschooler because i grew up with a significant amount of illiterate people because in the state of tennessee there was no oversight if you just registered with the right school the only thing you had to do and this is how i got my high school diploma so i'm not telling you no lie (laughs) my parents we got a we got a piece of mail in the the letter from this school and we'd write down what books i used and they would write down a letter grade on it and yep. we'd mail that back in to the school, and that was it. And that's that is that, was that is a failure in execution because it just I'll give you that's a, still policy I'll, in Tennessee right now. But I'll give you a parallel example. No, it, you're not supposed to do that. Did it happen? Sure, but it, it's no different than these other state schools um, or government schools where they're choosing to just pass students along on the basis of equity, and they're graduating and they cannot read, they cannot write, they're illiterate. So a failure within the system doesn't automatically mean. When we're talking about the enforcement of it, doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It means that that was a failure there and that shouldn't have happened. But the law in Tennessee is that you have to meet state standards. I'm sorry that didn't happen. You seem to be doing just fine. <laughs> it, oh sure. I mean, most of my friends aren't, and that's most of the people I grew up with. That is tragic. Just horribly, by, but by, and and it was systematized because there were several institutions in Tennessee that aided with us and coached people along with it and taught them how to and do. And that's it a problem. And taught people how and like several churches that were involved and donated to these organizations. It was a system of several thousand, tens of thousands of people spread across the Southeast, dedicated to subverting and getting around state laws like this. Like, I don't have anything positive to say about homeschooling. I'm borderline agree with Germany and just say it's actually dangerous and enables far more child abuse than we can possibly ever really comprehend because most of the children I grew up with were experiencing some type of familial neglect or abuse See, that, whether it was their parents beating them or screaming at them or an emotional neglect or abuse i don't know too many normal homeschoolers that came out of it all of us have some pretty awful horror stories um because i grew up in the far deep conservative you know we kids got screamed at and beat for reading harry potter and believing evolution was real like homeschooling with complete just Letting the people do what they want, letting people like believe what they want. Uh, I grew up around a lot of really disconcerting families and a lot of really scary adults who just did a lot of terrible things to the children. And a lot of like it was a systematic organization of helping people get around state laws and regulation to enable it. Um, I think that I have a lot of disconcerting. Like homeschooling <laughs> is just bad. In my I'm opinion. sorry that that was your experience. I had a very different experience even growing up just an hour or two from you. I think that. I don't know. It, it fascinates me that the concept here, and, and you, you just kind of touched on this as like a minor point, but I've heard it dragged out as a major point that homeschooling just basically shouldn't happen because it, it allows for neglect, abuse, et cetera. And like, it's just fascinating to me, and I strongly disagree with this notion, that the government has to be involved for children to be raised well. Like, there are, of course, instances of neglect, abuse, et cetera, and that's tragic. And, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to undercut your personal story here, but I think that if, you know, your personal experience there surrounding that area with the same group, we have to look at the broader picture, though, and say that that's not, that's not pervasive. It, it, when it happens, of course, it's tragic. Yeah, it's just a question of where is it statistically more likely to occur and what's the degree of statistical, like, threat to children we're willing to have, like – you know, what percentage of children harmed by a particular method of education is too much before we consider it to be problematic? And that's the line we're playing. How many young queer youth need to kill themselves at homeschooling cops like that happened at both the homeschooling cops I went to before we consider it to be systematic, you know, child neglect? Um, That's always the question we're playing of, you know, how much more dangerous does it have to be before we're willing to condemn it? And we're always going to come to different answers about that. What's the acceptable amount of risk to expose people but, to? And it seems like there is, in that same vein, a great deal of exceptions that are made for the public schools. And the argument is made, it's accessible, it needs to be there. There's plenty of people 
who kill themselves, who sure. experience greater amounts of bullying. Is in it the statistically more likely? Absolutely. In the public school system, the amounts of bullying that take place is not even comparable to homeschooling. So the question, though, is do homeschoolers have a higher probability of suicide attempts than public school? But children? what I'm saying is that I don't think that you would make the same argument that, you know, if the idea is, I don't know, it sounds like one person killing themselves for bullying someone else is too much. We don't do that same application to government schooling. So no, just, and that's it, not what I said. I said, is it statistically more significant and what's and how much more risk is too much risk? And We're I'm saying right now it is, absolutely. I, I'm saying of how much is too much more. My argument is there is more and it's more frequent and prone and probabilistic within the homeschooling community because there is no oversight and ability for there to be third-party accountability versus the public school system. I'm not saying there's a perfect system. I'm saying insofar that one system is dramatically and statistically significantly more likely to do harm than another, there's a very clear preferable ground uh, to be taken. Uh, it and to me, that's just a cut and dry weighing back. But if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna throw out statistics like that, then then we would have to look at are we looking at it like per capita? Because far more people attend public that's how schools. Statistics work. No, I'm that's aware. How I'm, I'm aware, Josh. But I'm saying that the the data that you're proposing, we would need to see the significance value. We need to see the F value. We need to know what is the comparison. Because right now, it's not even a direct comparison. Because there's I mean, the far more that, like like out there of like the impacts of like and like outcomes of like homeschooling like you see like the standout exceptional cases that homeschoolers like to talk about but we can also just run every token critique that there is out but there when, like when sure. you say statistically significant if i if i survey a group of homeschoolers and i see what is the amount of abuse that's taking place and i say i have statistically significant results literally all Correct. that means is that there was it was greater than the probability of randomness that this happened. So that doesn't mean anything in and of itself. Statistical significance means zero things by itself. You have right, to apply it I'm to saying, something. In a comparison of two systems, are a particular set of harms more statistically likely to occur than in another given system? And insofar that the answer is consistently harms are more likely to occur, I'm not going to prefer it. And that is, I think, one of like the fundamental driving like systems of like why do we? And, and you're also like put you put up another position of like the belief that the school system has to be involved is also a misnomer here because it's an argument that if the school system is involved, it's statistically like likelier to go better. So that's the like the the component we find people in. Does this policy statistically create a better world? Or does it not? What produces, you know, the most happiness and most, you know, benefit to society? And accountability, oversight, produce stable systems with good results. And but that's not the completely, same as happiness and well, sure. fulfillment. But if we're trying to create a system of where we can reliably create those things, I mean, isn't it the grandiose thing of all research to reliably predict the future? So if but policies then just were <laughs> well, right. But so policy is just research about how to organize a, a society. We're trying to create a probabilistically the best result out of a given outcome. Like so, then to pull this just, out of the like theoretical, philosophical, and apply it, then you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, basically, because people now have the option to go to something to where they might encounter a negative situation, whether it be abuse or lower educational outcome, et cetera, then they shouldn't have that option? No, I'm saying if there is a system that is statistically more likely to harm a group of people and we don't have to have it, and it's completely auxiliary and adds you know, nothing but a statistic net harm to society, then it just doesn't need to be. Um, it's not that the harms may be there, or else we would have to outlaw driving. It's the, if we could find a better alternative to driving for mass transportation, it might be worth talking about. So in so far that we can provide better alternatives in the public school system, I'm going to prefer it. So you do prefer, so you're saying if, if we could demonstrate that these are better alternatives, then you yeah. you would prefer them. Well, to kind of go back to what we learned from uh, David McConnell, the, the states are, you know, it, it's like a mini democracies, meaning we, we get to see this play out. None of us live in the state of Arizona, so whether it goes well or whether it goes poorly, uh, <laughs> we we will watch it play out. I'll, I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Do you think then that this is going to affect educational outcomes overall in a negative or positive way. I, it'll affect it in some way. I, I just... Oh, yeah, they're going to get worse. 
Why do you say that? Uh, for the 20 to 30 percent of population who will be left in the public school system or whatever that population ends up being, as money gets pulled out of that school system, more teachers get fired, more wages get cut, more resources get cut, the schools will get worse, and the educational outcomes of those students will get worse. Where do it's, you get 20 to 30 percent? I'm just taking a ball just line. a number that I've been throwing around. So okay, so it, let's – Well, I mean, it might be 40 or 50 like, percent of them. Like, it's hard to like, – I don't know. Like, I don't know how many charter schools are going to spring up overnight. I don't know how many venture capitalists – you know, maybe McGraw-Hill and Pearson will open, like, 5,000 There's going to be you know, so many of there. them. It's, it's one million students getting – So, I mean, I don't know how – Yeah. It's so, I don't know how many people insane. are going to hop out of the school system. But the people who are left in the public school system – a good chunk of them, if not the majority of them who are still there, who don't have means to go anywhere else, are, in my opinion, I don't see any other outcome than them all having a worse uh, public school system next year or whenever this okay. takes effect. So if I, if I give you that 20 to 30 percent, which I, I think is pretty high, let's, let's, let's say that it gets – and I don't even think it's going to get significantly worse for those people. I think that they will have enough options and through these subsidies, they'll, they'll be able to improve overall – but that's still like 70 to 80% of the population who are doing better than they were a minute ago. If we're looking at the concept of like cost benefit analysis or utilitarianism, like that's a net good overall, technically. Like I, you said that you would be in favor of a system that improved that. I'm curious why you're opposed to it then, even with those numbers you threw out. I think Josh has been consistent because I feel like eight months ago he said that if one person would have it worse, then you know it's 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 you know overall a, a worse system. Like I think in general, sure. and you know honestly, I don't you know, I don't blame most people, and this might go in a little bit on the hot takes later, but like I don't blame most people for trying to get into a voucher system because for their kids things will be better probably if their kids are bright and their kids are you know having a, a nice little future and. If you can take your little money away and like you're in the you know top forty something percent of earners, then you will probably have a better education in whatever charter school you decide to go to. But that's not going to be the case for everyone. And you know, in, there's a lot of areas in our lives that we already tend to sacrifice people in the name of you know benefiting the top. Well, and another turn would be the however many people do take advantage of the charter school system and have those additional resources aren't the particular people I'm too worried about with policy either. Like if you're, you know, make, you know, I'm sorry, if you're making seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year in America, I'm not that worried about you right now. Um, I, I would agree with you on that. I think a more tailored approach would be better. You know, I guess depending on like where you're living. Well, I mean, just – in so far of like, sure, we might help 70 to 80 percent of the population go to better schools, as Marcel pointed out. Like, can't fault people for trying to get their child into the best school they can. Just any parent's going to do that. Like, you know, you yep. always want the best for your child. That's just that's just good instinct. But in so far that we just don't have to do this and we could do something else that doesn't disadvantage 20 to 30 percent of the population. And we could find something that was either more equitable for everybody or just doesn't affect people who don't need like – if you're if if you're some family making six thousand you know six figures you know six figure income you know quarter million dollars hundred thousand dollars plus you don't need extra money for the education system for the government that's just, I agree that's just wasting money like when, when like it was the sure. same thing with the COVID payments like if you made too much money you didn't get a COVID bailout like the government's just like listen you you're making bank you don't need this um, and, and so I think that it like you know and we've even had like the national debate around student loan debt like. We're not going to cancel people making six-figure income now. Mind you, there's a lot of like medical professionals who need that. Um, well, you you know that because Biden's trailing and his the majority of his population is upper middle upper class. He was throwing around the numbers of upwards of seventy to one hundred fifty thousand. Like would be canceling student loan. I'm like, eh, they don't really need I that. I could see if that was like your joint income. Like, no, it was like. like <laughs> two, well, yeah, but I'm saying like if you were two like you know, degreed professionals and you had $150,000 debt between the two, you know, income between the two of you after going through college and had a good chunk of debt. I could, I could see that. Happening. I've taken us off course. Sorry, go back to um, the education. <laughs> so we just don't have to pass a policy that pulls money out of the public. There are a thousand and one ways to better reconsider how we do funding for the public school system, whether you operate on a state sales tax or state income tax. Just bump it up a half a percent, get rid of the state taxes, you know, and call it a day and then fund the education through that or get rid of the local re regionality of estate taxes and just say there's a statewide fund for schools. Everyone pays estate taxes into the government, you know, finances back out to those, you know, the state public schools to make sure everything's taken care of. Like 
there are so many different ways to provide equitable and better funding towards the education system and provide better results without having to pull more money out of and more resources away from the public school system. Um, you just don't have to hurt the public school system to do good in the education system. Final thoughts and critiques as to how, well, let's say that you, you got to, to make a critique to how this legislation was passed and it's going to pass. What would you do? Uh, for me, I would say, I think that like Josh was just hitting on, I actually agree with this point. It should be a little bit more tailored, right? Because if you have the money to begin with, Maybe some kind of a break somewhere would be nice, but I don't think you need the exact same treatment. So I think a little bit more tailored based off of how much you're making. I don't know exactly what that would look like, but I, I think that that would be a better way to do this voucher system instead of just all of it. At the same time, though, that is counterbalanced in my mind as far as, you know, these are our taxpayer dollars, so I should be able to put those to my child's education anyway. But what do you guys think as we get ready to head into hot takes? I'll, I'll half-heartedly agree with the idea of like, <laughs> yes, you know, if, if it was more tailored, like I, I've, you know, I've read the Bibles of the school vouchers they are like praising how it creates equality and how it's meant to be for people with learning disabilities, people that have a traditional disadvantage. I'm like, sure. You know, in an ideal world, those people, no, I actually, no, I, I take it back in the ideal world. Those people wouldn't even need to go to another place. They would just get education that they deserve in the public and the public system. So like even in the even in the most charitable position that I could give this system, I would just why not just make the public school system better? Like that's it's just it's, <laughs> that's that's and obviously we already talked about so long about why, you know, whatever. That's just that's that's my take. And it's like, why not just do that instead? Josh, final thoughts. Um, everything is already a capitalist enterprise. You don't need to make education more of one. <laughs> Please, thanks. All right. Uh, well, remember, you're listening to the Central Hub for Political Discourse. We'll be right back with our hot takes. We need a ticker of how many times it's been <laughs> since I hit the little sad trombone, you know, the wrong button. <laughs> it's uh. been it's been nine episodes since Ryan hit the wrong button. Okay. Um, <laughs> <Another Rosh aside. laughs> Josh, why don't you, you actually, you know what, Josh, you're going to, you get the rebuttal on rebuttal on rebuttal. So we're going to let Marcella do this one. Marcella, why don't you tell them about our memberships that we have if they want to join us before and after the show. Now that we're like trying to get back in a groove of things. <laughs> Yeah, now that we're back in an official season two, uh, it's really hot in this apartment and it's, you know, it's the summer. <laughs> uh, you are welcome to join our Discord behind the scenes content, uh, please. Uh, and thank you so much to our supporters. And uh, yeah, uh, there's uh, links in the description below. Yep. And as always, remember, you can follow us. We would love to see our follower account go up. So hit subscribe, hit the notifications for our YouTube channel. And we would love to have you follow us Twitter, Instagram, uh, technically TikTok, although that's not been had been a lot popping on there for a while. But just at Between the Liars should bring you right to it. And we're going to head right back, and Josh is going to kick us off with his hot takes. All right. Uh, I would say to start us off, school choice and voucher programs have a bad and nasty origin to create a specific type of education system. And whether or not they intentionally are doing that by now is a great mystery. It's hard to tell. But what we do know is that it is that schools are becoming less ethnically diverse as, the, as time goes on. But what's curious is that our public schools, they aren't. Our public school systems all at the same time have become more and more diverse. How is that possible then if the national trend is that schools are becoming less ethnically diverse? If that is only then that the private schools are becoming so ethnically homogenous, so ethnically the same, that they're able to statistically overpower the diversity of the public school system. That is how bad racial segregation in charter schools is. They do it through bus route and lack of access to bus routes. They do it through lack of disability services and different accommodations. They do it through additional tuition charges, additional lunch charges, all types of different income requirements they may have of the parents. These schools are handed off to private corporations who make decisions not oriented on the community, but oriented on how to make their, their investors more money because they're private, for-profit 
institutions, and they don't care about serving the community. And these kind of school private companies that come in, they take all the power away from the public school system. And then your local school board is not in charge. Your elected official has become a joke to the wishes of a couple billionaires on the coasts investing in your rural town, telling your child what to learn and when to learn it. And you no longer have a say. But congratulations, you get to pick what school to go to. Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates school? Thumbs up, America. You done good on this one. Capitalist involvement in school systems is bad. Writ large, period. I'll sign off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my first hot take is going to be we need to break down what is the performance of those schools. And we need to actually look at, you know, do we if people happen to be more segregated in their schools, but they're getting higher educational experiences across the board and that's not unique to specific demographics, then I would say that diversity in and of itself is not inherently a good thing. We do love diversity. Diversity is good. But it can't be the only variable you look at if you're going to talk about statistical analysis because, of course, you can break things down based off of racial demographics. Really, this is more of a class breakdown than it is racial. And historically, Josh is absolutely correct. It has racist origins. That's fine. We need to look at what's going on today. We need to update those arguments and actually look at what is going on now. And personally, having looked at what's going on and what's being proposed, I truly believe that overall the educational system is going to be improved for each of the students in this situation. They're not all going to be equally I mean, they're not all going to come out equally because that would be equity and we're more interested in equal opportunity because Marcelo hit this on the head earlier. Not everyone is interested in going to the top performing schools. And if the barrier that, you know, Josh's most prevailing barrier has been financial, it's been you are tied based on the taxes you paid. And I say this is addressing that issue. And once we've addressed this issue, we can look at those other things. And I do think that the capitalistic structure will, in fact, drive these schools to try to outperform each other. And honestly, who wins in that situation? It's going to be the consumer. It's going to be the people who are voting with these vouchers where they want to go and what they want to support. And naturally, what's going to happen is the schools that are doing the things that, in general, the people like, they're going to get more students. They're going to get more funding. And the cycle continues. And of course, you can look at the people who are in the bottom of that. But just like in America, the poorest of the poor, the people who are living below the poverty level are still well above the rest of the world when it comes to truly comparing to impoverished nations. So we really need to look at this on a case-by-case -case basis. My second hot take is going to be that a more tailored approach is going to be better. Ultimately, that's what this does. This is going to be my last hot take. It's allowing the parents to vote what is best for their child. Why do we have individualized education or individualized learning plans for students? It's so that within the public education system, the students who don't necessarily fall to the same average as everybody else get the help that they need. And in many instances, homeschooling is an answer to that. And this allows parents who would prefer to homeschool their students, it allows them to have some money to go towards that. What we need to remember is that taxpayer funded means it's your money that the government took from you through taxes and giving it back to you so that you can put that into your education. That is a good use of taxes. And Josh took us down this dystopian route talking about how there's no accountability. I would say right now we're already living that. It is a non-unique issue that's brought up here because we already have very limited accountability. Sure, you have people who are on the board, but we're just changing the way that that looks. It's not no accountability. I would say that it might shift a little bit, but there's still going to be accountability. There's still going to be standards, and I would say that it's a little bit alarmist to say that we're suddenly going to have no standards whatsoever. We really need to think of this for what it is. Students are getting the money to put them where they would like to go. As someone who gets accused sometimes of throwing the baby out with the bathwater on a lot of the systems that I feel we live in right now but are not exactly adequate, I think it is a little ironic that we find ourselves in a situation where we're willing to throw away the whole system because we don't think it works uh, well enough. Um, I'll say that, uh, a hot take, right? Diversity is actually something that we should strive for. And the fact that these charter schools are not, you know, are, are segregated, they are, Primarily white in many of these cases shows that they are not as equal as the proponents would like you to think. 
this is an issue that is not going to harm like Josh is not going to harm the, the top 10% is not going to harm maybe even the top 50%, but it's going to harm some people. And what I'll say again is that I cannot blame anyone for trying to have a better future for those children, right? Like that's just, you know, if you can send your kid to private school, you do it. If you can give them a tutor, you do it. If you can put them in a, in a better position to succeed later in life, you do it because that's just the way things are. But at the same time, you don't think about those people because those people will be okay. Like, you will be fine if you go to public school. You will be all right. You have to think about the people who have no choice, the people who will not, just circumstances will not allow them to transfer, just to simply, like, you go to another school five miles away, go to, go to somewhere else. You have people inevitably here that will be harmed by the system, and I don't think it exactly solves it for them. Years down the line, when we see what happens with Arizona and with this policy, is that we'll probably see that a lot of these people who get, you know, quote unquote, their hard earned money back from their taxes and they can send their children everywhere they want, many of them will be like, yeah, this was the right choice. Like, my kid is now in an Ivy League and my kid is now doing so well. And like, nobody is going to actually talk to those people who did not get a choice, did not feel the change. And then actually, they felt their classes shrunk, they felt their, their teachers got fired that their schools closed and you know nothing meaningfully changed for them in a positive way but actually in the negative all right comment below what are your thoughts we'd love to hear from you and tell us what topics you'd like us to address next remember you can find us on spotify apple youtube twitch and google podcasts go ahead and give us a follow on the social media so we let you know when we finally decide on the day of the week that we're going to be recording. And if you enjoy this show, we would appreciate a five-star review so we can beat that algorithm. Give us a share with your friends. I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Goodbye for now.